Hey, this is Chris Whaley, the mass saint. I've worked as the saint for 10 years in professional wrestling, and you're listening to the Rick Flynn Presents Podcast. And if you miss any of them, you're going to miss a blessing that'll teach you a lesson. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout-out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn Presents... Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Well, hello, everyone. My next guest is a guy I have been waiting to speak with. When I say that this man has had a life, that is an understatement. I'm going to tell you all about our guest, but let me bring him in here, and I would like to introduce him by the name that a lot of you may know him by. He competed for 10 years using the ring name The Saint, and let's bring him in here. Chris Whaley, come on in and welcome. Thank you for your appearance today. I'm delighted to have you here. Come on in. Rick, it is such a such a pleasure to be with you. I am a Rick Flynn fan, and I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to this. Excellent. Now, you were telling me before we went on the air, you're in Florida, and I had a guest on this show from Florida. And what were you saying? Right. Well, my wife and I went to college in South Florida, a great institution called Palm Beach Atlantic. And uh, I was uh, a fifth degree redneck when I went to school there. And my wife took me to church at this uh, church, First Baptist West Palm. The pastor was Dr. Jess Moody, and he was known as Burt Reynolds' pastor. Matter of fact, in Burt Reynolds' last book that he published, he tells a story of going to church there at First Baptist West Palm. Dr. Moody didn't want them to be mobbed by people. He didn't even want them to know that Bert and Dinah Shore were in the service. So he had this little thing fixed up. Bert was in the back. Dr. Moody would say, every head bowed, every eye closed. And that was Bert Reynolds' cue to walk into the service. He and Dinah Shore would walk in and they would sit on the front row. And then after Dr. Moody prayed and everybody looked up, nobody was the wiser and knew that uh, Bert Reynolds and Dinah Shore were sitting in the service. Uh, he told that story uh, in his book. And then uh, Dr. Moody's son, Pat Moody, was is uh, one of my best friends. And uh, Pat wanted to be in the movies. And Bert told him, he said, get your degree in drama and I'll put you in movies. And so Pat and I graduated in uh, December 1976. And Pat went right into the movies. He was in uh, Smokey and the Bandit 1, Smokey and the Bandit 2. He was in The End. And he was in... Um, also Gator. And uh, Pat left the movies to become a pastor like his dad. And Pat actually ended up doing Burt Reynolds' funeral. And uh, he's told me stories about that funeral. And it was just amazing. 
uh, especially with Lonnie Anderson being there. I have a lot of great memories. Can I tell you one more story about uh, Burt Reynolds? Absolutely. Yes, uh, go ahead. Well, well, when we were in college, uh, that was when the Mike Douglas show was on. I don't know if you remember oh, the Mike Douglas we've show. Talked, we've but, talked in this show about Mike Douglas before, but go ahead. Yeah. Yes. But he always had a co-host, and uh, they were filming in Miami, and his co-host for the week was Burt Reynolds. And so the kids at college found out that Dr. Moody was going to be on the Mike Douglas show. Dr. Moody, by the way, he is the one who founded Palm Beach Atlantic. That's why all the kids were crazy about him. But anyway, uh, we didn't have TVs in those days, and so we had to find somebody that had a TV so that we could watch the show. And so we were sitting there. Uh, Mike Douglas said, uh, Bert, why don't you introduce this next guest? And uh, Bert Reynolds said, well, there's not a lot of people in his field that want to be around me, but he, I, I consider him my friend and my pastor. He's the pastor of First Baptist West Palm, Dr. Jess Moody. And so Dr. Moody came out and Mike Douglas said, uh, you take a lot of heat for being this guy's friend, don't you? And Dr. Moody said, well, they just don't know the Burt Reynolds that I know. And he said, well, why don't you tell us uh, about the Burt Reynolds that you know? And he told this wonderful story. He said that uh, his mom was living with them and she was dying from throat cancer. And one night there was a knock on the door and they opened the door and it was Burt Reynolds. He was in a tuxedo. He had rented a convertible Rolls Royce and he said, I've come for Connie. That was Dr. Moody's mom. And Mrs. Moody took her upstairs and put a dress on her and combed her hair and put lipstick on her. And they got her to the door. Bert walked her out to the car. He took her to the most exclusive restaurant in Palm Beach. Uh, afterwards, he danced with her. And then he took her for a moonlight stroll along the intercoastal there in West Palm. And then he parked with her. And then he brought her home. He walked her up to the door. He kissed her on the mouth. And he said, good night, Connie. And he, when Dr. Moody said his mom walked into the to the living room, said her eyes were as big as wash tubs, and she looked at him and that gravelly little voice, she said, the girls in Sunday school will never believe this. <laughs> and that was my great story about Burt Reynolds. So I had, I had to get those in because I'm a big Burt Reynolds fan also. But thank you so much, Rick, for having me. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. Now, you enjoyed the interview that we did with the person who actually did the last interview with Burt Reynolds. Right. He was filmed, right. he was screenplay writer and movie director Rick Pamplin. We did not right. one show, we did two shows with him, and those shows are right. online. People can hear them right now. What about those shows, before we get into yours, did you like? Just the honesty of the movie movie director and his love, obviously, for everything Burt Reynolds. You know, it was such an awesome interview, and I think you loved it, Rick, because you didn't really have to talk that much. This oh, guy I loved has it. one story. Yeah, he has one story after another about uh, Burt Reynolds, and, and Burt is such an icon for, you know, the people that love movies, because he had, what, over 80 movies, I think, and uh, it's just a 
unbelievable interview where you're hearing this guy just tell story after story after story. And uh, that each one of those interviews went by, you know, the hour long. But you think, my goodness, this was only 20 minutes. And you look up and it was an hour because uh, the guy's just so fascinating. And I really enjoyed it. When I shut up, somebody has to be a good speaker. I'm telling you, they have to be. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. So anybody that wants to learn more about the life of one of the greatest movie actors of all time, a well-loved person indeed, Burt Reynolds, we have two shows online right now with the movie screenplay writer, the motion picture director, and his name is Rick Pamplin. He came on here and he had so much information about his film, which was called Burt Reynolds. The last interview. And literally, that's what it was. It was the last interview that Burt Reynolds ever gave. They're turning it into a movie, and we had a wonderful show. And thank you for mentioning that. But, sir, if you don't mind my digressing into your career, let me just say this. You've already mentioned right now, today, at the church where you were involved, you had a lady come in there and she is the same woman that showed up in my life in person when we had the top nightclub going in Cincinnati, which of course was how a lot of people, I'm never going to live it down. We had lines at the door every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes when corporations would rent the place on a Monday, which was our slowest night of the week, we'd have lines then if we you know had a special event or a special show and a lady one day came in and her name was Dinah Shore and you know that I'm working at the best joint in town and a high class place when Dinah Shore walks in and stays for hours because she loved the environment am I on the right track for you sir <laughs> yeah, she was, she was quite a lady, man. I tell you, you know, to to grow up with with her on TV and uh, to see her perform, she was just an amazing, amazing actress and singer and everything else. Everything she did turned to gold. Right. We had Bob Hope. We had Dinah Shore. We had world class comedians. We had uh, athletes from every conceivable sport. Big name athletes. Big name entertainers more than I can even name and a lot of them were coming on my radio, my terrestrial radio show at the time and they would come on as guests and I was just, when I say that I was a celebrity DJ, I'm not making this stuff up. Dinah Shore, tennis pro Jimmy Connors used to come and not only, he wouldn't stay at the hotel, he was a friend of my boss, the owner, and my boss drove a Rolls Royce. He didn't rent it. He owned it. And we did real well there. And it was a part of my life. Chris, if I told you that I'll never forget those days, I'm telling you the truth. Will you go along with me on that? Oh, absolutely. Did you ever have Diane Carroll? No, we never had Diane Carroll. We had the Jacksons in there without Michael. We had the band. And I put one of them on my radio 
show. David Williams, his guitar player, came on. We had, um, uh, not Diane Carroll, we had Cesar Romero in there. Yeah, he. You remember he played on the Batman. He was one of the uh, right. the villains on Batman, amongst other things. We had singer Tom Jones, and he came in on like a Friday after his appearance at a theater in downtown Cincinnati. He came afterwards, wow. and at two thirty, which is when the law in <laughs> says you have to have the guests out, and we locked the door up at 2.30 and we left him in there with a limousine outside and <laughs> he had such a great time. He said, do you mind if I, if I come back here tomorrow, can we do this again? I said, uh, yes, yeah, certainly. And sure enough, the next night, Saturday, the second day in a row, he came and at 2.30, we got the crowd out of there, we locked the door, and there was our special guest, held captive by his own choice, singer Tom Jones. And that was just one of the entertainers. We had ZZ Top. We had Freddie Mercury and the band Queen. Not once, oh, wow. but tw oh, twice. They were there. They wow. did two tours. They came on the first tour. They played in Cincinnati. They loved it so much. A year later, they made another tour. They came back and they came and saw us again. Every week I would look out and there would be somebody out there and my bosses would come in and they'd say, Rick, we want you to announce so-and-so is here with us. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge them. You know, Cincinnati was just, it was a town which was not a great show business town like Hollywood, but boy, when they came to town, they came to our establishment because it was the only building in the city, the only one that was architecturally designed by an architect and built brand new from the ground up, not a conversion. All the rest of the places were converted. Ours was architecturally designed and built from the ground up to house a DJ, a beautiful dance floor, and a wonderful restaurant separated in the middle by by a real live, honest to God conservatory where one plant in the joint, one plant only, was worth well over $100,000. And it was like you walked in and saw all the gold and all the, the, the beautiful scenery and you went, oh, and it took you away from reality the minute you walked in the place. And then all these celebrities and so forth would show up. And, you know, you wonder why. I, um, I keep talking about it all these years later, and I'll tell you what a life it was. I'm sorry I missed you, but during your 10-year career in show business, you'd have fit right in, my friend. Well, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't call professional wrestling show business in those days, but it has really changed a lot since my day, and so I think today they would probably call it show business. Well, let but, me tell uh, you. Because of my involvement in the club and the popularity 
that it had that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I was, I went to the radio station and people would come in there as guests and so forth from other states a long way from Cincinnati, like Atlanta and other cities. And they say, Rick, we've heard of you down there with these shows you're doing at this club. And I would just, wow. Yeah, I got this national reputation thing going on and I was just in awe of it. You don't know what you've got until somebody informs you that is not from the area and doesn't know anything and they come into town and say, wow, we've heard of you. Then you know you're on to something. But I will tell you this, Chris, that it was because of that that they put me on WKRP TV in Cincinnati. It was a small station. <laughs> they gave me my own show, which was called Rick Flynn Presents. I didn't name it the owner of the station. He named it. And that's what the predecessor was of this podcast. It was Rick Flynn Presents on TV. And one time they came to us at the station and they say, could we get Rick and his show to make an appearance at our WWF wrestling at the arena? And when I say event, I mean, this arena was the same identical arena where the Beatles were put on stage when they first came out back in 1964 and 1965. And so we took our cameras, we did make tapings, and we we met the people, I signed the autographs, etc., etc., etc. And that was my first taste, if you will, of professional wrestling. And when I say that I got an education, Chris, I don't know if you remember this character. You have to know who I'm talking about because he was there. And I'm not even going to tell you his name, but I'm going to tell you what they called him. And I'll bet you you'll tell me his name, even though you might not have been in a business back then. I don't know. They called this guy Stone Cold. (laughs) Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin. And when I tell you that this guy had fans, that's like me telling you, sir, that the sun has a few rays that shine down out of the sky. Oh, whenever when I I was in Texas, um, he was just getting in the, the business really big, but he had long blonde hair and he went by the name of Stunning Steve Austin. And so he goes to the WWE after Vince McMahon takes over uh, wrestling. You know, in, in my day, they used to have 26 territories. All Florida was a big territory. Uh, of course, Georgia, uh, Mid-South. Uh, in Texas, there were three territories. You had the Von Erichs in East Texas and the Funks in West Texas and Putsky in South Texas and, and, and just all of these territories. And then uh, when Vince McMahon senior died and Vince McMahon Jr. took over. He is a marketing genius and he signed, you know, contract with NBC USA and he took he took wrestling national and international and you can't compete with national TV and so it shut all the territories
territories down. And then, of course, all of the big talent in those territories gravitated to the WWF, which is now the WWE. And so stunning Steve Austin goes to the WWF and Vince McMahon turns him into Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he marketed him and just made him into a a name that's known in just about every household. He did that with every one of them, Hulk Hogan, The Undertaker, uh, with so many of them. He just, he made wrestling into national and international. And it's a lot different than uh, in my day. I did a benefit back in 93. I was a pastor, but I did a benefit for a lady in my church who was dying. And uh, we were going to give all the money to her family to help with medical bills. And so I hadn't been in the ring in five years. And the guy that I was going to work with said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not getting in the ring with you until I see how you work. And so he said, there's a little independent show over here in Tampa. Uh, let's work on this show just so I can get a feel for how you work. So we're in the dressing room and in walked Rocky Johnson and Dwayne Johnson, who is now The Rock. But he had just graduated from the University of Miami. And uh, his dad was a great guy, worked against his dad. And so I'm talking to Dwayne, The Rock, and I said, so you're going to play football? He said, no, I'm going to be a wrestler like my dad. And I said, man, you don't want to do that. I never made the kind of money that these guys make today. So I said, uh, you, you know, you can play professional football, make millions of dollars. He said, no, I'm going to I'm going to be a wrestler like my dad. And I said, you're an idiot. And then the next year he went to the WWF and made six million bucks. So it's a great thing that he didn't listen to the advice of Chris Whaley. Oh, wow. You know, you said that at that time, years ago, Stone Cold. No. What was he before he was Stone Cold? They called him what? Stunning Steve Austin. Yeah. You said he had long blonde hair. When I worked on the show with him at the arena, he was bald at that time. He was Stone Cold Steve Austin. All right. And the number one shirt. And I'm telling you, I've been to concerts my whole life. I have been to big name shows. I'm telling you something, Chris, I have never in my career ever seen a t-shirt at an event, any event. I don't care what it is that sold more units than this solid black t-shirt with big white letters on the front that all it said was Austin 316. Yep. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody remembers that. Austin uh, 360. They were selling those shirts by the semi-tractor trailer load. Everybody, including all the children. And I'm telling you, they had the kids. A large amount of the audience was the children whose moms and dads brought them there and the parents would stay there and watch the show with them and they were forced to buy these kids these austin 316 shirts it was the largest selling piece of merch that i've ever seen occur did you know how popular that man was you know i i had no idea well uh, i worked against uh the undertaker before he was the undertaker uh, you, you wrestled him you wrestled him yeah, yeah. I, I worked against him in 1988, and um, he went from, I think he used to 
used to, when he started out, he was like powerhouse, and then he went to Mean Mark, and uh, of course Vince McMahon is the one who made him into the Undertaker. But the I can I tell you that story. The I was in seminary uh, for the last three years that I was in professional wrestling. Uh, I was going to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and so I would go to seminary in the daytime, and I would wrestle at night, and I had. Uh, had the opportunity to work against uh, Mark Calloway, wrestled the uh, Ultimate Warrior, wrestled Freebirds, um, Iceman, King Parson, uh, the Von Erichs were huge in that day. But whenever I worked on Friday night, my wife and my two little girls would go to the show. And after, I, after I'd after i wrestled, I'd get a shower and I'd meet them in the parking lot. And then we would do Friday fun night with dad. We looked forward to that. We had a great time. On this particular night, uh, I had already wrestled. I was in the dressing room taking my boots off and the promoter came in and said, hey, uh, uh, I need somebody to work twice. Uh, the guy who was supposed to uh, work against Mark Calloway uh, didn't show up. And I said, hey, I'll do it. I'll work against it because I knew this guy was you know, going to be a superstar. And so I had to get the referee. I told the referee, hey, go out and find my wife and girls. Tell them not to leave that I'm going to wrestle one more time. So he came back in. I said, you find him? He said, yep. I told him. I said, you didn't tell him who I was working against, did you? And he said, no, 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 no. So uh, the time for the main event came. I walked uh, walked out to the arena. I got into the ring. I was looking for my wife and girls. I found them in the crowd. And then the lights went down and that hideous music came on. And then Mark walked through the doors. And when he did, I looked. Both my little girls were crying. And my wife, her eyes were huge. And she she grabbed her purse, picked it up, and started going through her purse real frantically. Mark got in the ring. Uh, we had our match. Went, a, went about 20 minutes. It was a great match. We were on our way back to Fort Worth that night, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and both my little girls were sound asleep. And I looked over at my wife, and I said, hey, uh, right before the match started, I noticed that you grabbed your purse, and you were going through it frantically. I said, what was that about? And she thought for a moment, and then she looked over. She said, I was looking for the check checkbook to make sure you had paid the insurance. <laughs> That's a true story. Oh, my. True story. Oh. True story. Oh, wow. Here, I have it here. Um, uh, John 3.16 from the Bible is the most famous and the most well-known verse from the Christian Bible. John 3.16. Here. Austin. You know what he said? You want me to say it? Yes. Yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know how Austin used 316. I don't know what 316 stood for with uh, I have Steve it here. Austin. Are you ready? Okay. Aust, yeah. quote, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. <laughs> A big difference between that and John 3.16. And he was referring to a guy named Jake Roberts. Yep, Jake the Snake. Right, and that's whose ass he whipped, I guess, right? I guess so. I and, guess so. I don't and know. And that's it how it, it became his trademark slogan, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When he was but stone I, cold. 
Right. Well, I'll be in Pigeon Forge this Saturday. They have a big event called Legends and Heroes, and uh, I'll be I'll see Jake's brother. He has a brother named Sam Houston, and I'll get to see him. But uh, Jake is he's not in the best of health these days. But he was just an unbelievable talent, and he he was on the same level with with Austin, uh, Steve Austin. But of course, Steve Austin got more notoriety than he did. But he got a about a, got a pretty good bit of notoriety bringing that huge snake into the ring. Right. Oh, and and they had these uh, old canisters, although they were fake, but they were a, a, a gimmick. They were selling the merch there, and they were a can of whoop-ass. I, I don't know <laughs> where. I guess that had something probably to do with Stone Cold, but the merchandising on that tour was the best that I'd ever seen. Uh, uh, if that's yeah, Vince yeah. McMahon's work, I, I'd never met the man, but boy, if I'm wearing a hat, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take it off and tip it to the man because he knew what he was doing. Yeah, he was a marketing genius. I mean, he oh. took he took a, took a fledgling little territory in the Northeast and turned it into a billion-dollar business. I mean, when, when WrestleMania happens, I mean, that's a that's a multi-billion dollar weekend. And Vince McMahon was the architect of uh, turning, you know, the World Wrestling Federation into what it is today. And, you know, he, he shut everybody down. So he obviously had a lot of smarts in that area. Boy, isn't that the truth? And, you know, our yeah. television station in Cincinnati, we carried their wrestling and we put them on at night and it did very well for us. And and the kids loved it. And you know what? Not just the children. Uh, I, I would, I thought initially that that only attracted the young kids. But you know what? There, there were adults there that were like getting into it too. Was that your experience, or were they children that followed you when you were a pro? Oh no, there's there's a little bit of everybody at a wrestling event. You have white collar, you have blue collar, you have senior adults, you have medium adults. You have moms and dads and brothers and sisters and kids. It is just a uh, it's just a mixture of everybody when you go to a professional wrestling match. And it's still today. You know, and a lot of that's due to Vince McMahon because just about any night you can turn the TV on and you'll find professional wrestling somewhere. Uh, of course, now you have uh, the AEW that's, you know, given a lot of competition to the WWE but there are literally thousands of independent wrestling organizations all over the United States. And there are wrestling shows going on every night. And wrestling uh, is, is a big, big deal today. I mean, people just can't get enough of it and uh, continue to continue to love it. And, you know, even with me, you know, uh, I've been out of the business since 1988. The movie that was made based on my book has just given me a reprieve, too. And um, every week, 
Uh, I get messages. I get emails, messages on Facebook, on Lincoln, from people who saw the movie or read the book. And so even though I've been out of the business and been in the ministry for 35 years, uh, I'm still connected with wrestling because the wrestling fans just don't give it up. They, they're great. Best fans in the world. Listen, when I was there, grandmothers oh. were there bringing the kids. Oh, yeah. And they were up there oh, yeah. yelling and screaming and, and you get and and they were into it. These were gray-haired grandmas doing this. It attracted all kinds of people of different socioeconomic, uh, you know, types. Am I right? Oh yeah. When I first got into wrestling, uh, and I, I was always a baby face. I was always a good guy. And when I first got into wrestling, I, I didn't wear a mask, and uh, I was just getting pummeled in the in one corner of the ring. And one of those grandmothers uh, jumped up to the side of the ring and pulled the guy out of the ring that I was working against. Of course, in those days, they didn't have the rails up like they have today and didn't have the uh, security that they have today. But she she yanked his butt right out of the ring. And then once she had him out of the ring, she didn't know what to do with him, you know. So, uh, Oh, no. Oh, listen, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm going to shut up and let you be Rick Pamplin here for just a moment. And you tell everybody about the motion picture that was loosely based upon your life. And then I want you to tell the people about the book and where they can get the movie on DVD and where they can get your book. So hit it. Okay, well, you know, it's it's really amazing that I had the opportunity to do what I did for 10 years. Uh, wrestling was my dream. When I was a, a little boy, I was constantly in and out of the hospital, mostly with pneumonia. Uh, every year I was in the hospital. In the fourth grade, I had polio, uh, viral encephalitis. I was in the hospital for three months. And when you're in the hospital, you lose track of your, your nights and your days and in in my day, late at night on TV, there wasn't a lot on TV, but professional wrestling was on there. And as a kid, I just loved it. I watched, uh, of course, here in Florida, uh, one of the greats was Eddie Graham, and the the villain was the great Malenko, and you had Johnny Valentine, and, and some of those, uh, Red Bastine, some of those great wrestlers from the past, and I just couldn't get enough of it as a kid. But the, the thought of me ever getting into the squared circle was just crazy because of my health. But I had a wonderful doctor um, who refused to allow me to give up. Uh, he found out that I was allergic to just about everything. I had over 200 allergies. And so they put me on this uh, uh, medication and all of a sudden my body started changing. I started gaining weight. And he was the one that got me going to the gym, working out. And so I started going to the gym and I love it. I still love it today, uh, going to the gym. But I, I just started getting in great shape. Um, my wife and I went to college. I continued working out. We graduated together. We were in Central Florida. Uh, she became a high school math teacher. And I was working and looking to go to my first church. And I'm looking at the Tampa Tribune, and there was a big ad in there that said, Wanted Professional Wrestlers. I jumped up out 
of my seat. I took it over to my wife, who was grading papers. I said, look at this. And she kind of rolled her eyes and kept grading papers. But I had packed a bag. I drove over to Tampa. I walked into the gym, and there was this villain that I'd watched as a kid, the great Malenko. And he trains, I don't know how many of the superstars for the WWE, but I started working with him. Uh, he was training his son, Dean Malenko, who became uh, the man of a thousand holes in the WWE, uh, was also one of the guys I was working with and his brother, Jody. And I got into wrestling and I was hooked the moment that I walked into the gym. And so I started wrestling in 1978, uh, wrestled for 10 years. My last three years, as I've already said, was while I was in seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. I uh, got to wrestle for world heavyweight champions. I left wrestling at the height of my career. I was 34 years old whenever uh, I became a pastor. And I went to my first church, and uh, they teach you a lot of stuff in seminary, but they don't teach you how to be a pastor. So I'm kind of learning on the job. And I had this precious mom who would uh, come every Sunday. She was the last one into the church, and she was the first one to leave. And she had two precious little kids, and she dropped them off in our kids' program. And so uh, one Sunday, she shows up, and she's got sunglasses on. And I thought that was a little unusual. And after the service was over, I always stood at the front and shook hands with people. And on that day, she was the last person to leave. And she came up to me and grabbed my hand with both of her hands, and she had tears coming down her cheeks. And I lifted the sunglasses and she had two black eyes and it just enraged me. I mean, any man that would hit a woman as a dirt bag. And I thought about, you know, who hit this woman and found out it was her husband. And I thought, yeah, the, the mother of your children and you would abuse her like that. And I told her, I said, I'm going to go see your husband. And she said, oh, don't do that. He'll hurt you. And I said, I'm not really worried about it. So I went to their house and um, I called him out. I just said, you know, uh, I told him exactly what I just said. Any man that hit a woman is a dirtbag. You're a bully. Bullies only pick on people that they know they can defeat. And so I'm here, and I want to see how you do against somebody who's able to fight back. And so we danced in his front yard, and it was a lot of fun because I didn't get to relieve my stress as a pastor, but I relieved a lot of stress that day on that old boy, and he never hit her again. And that was the beginning of just episodes after episode where I handled things uh, with people more as a professional wrestler than I did as a pastor. I had episode after episode, and I thought, you know, this would make a good book. And so my wife talked me into writing it, and I, I wrote this book called The Masked Saint, which is based, every chapter is based upon something that happened in my life. And then uh, shortly after the book came out, um, I started getting calls from movie producers, and first guy that called me was actually, he was the producer of the first three Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle blockbusters. So he did those. He did a movie with Jim Caviezel called Stroke of Genius, the Bobby Jones story. And then he made a movie called Letters to God. And he had an idea to make this into a faith-based movie. Kept me on the hook for about a year and then suddenly said, I'm not interested anymore. And I had other people contact me. Matter of fact, I was getting a little sick of it because they they put you on the hook and then they would take you off and um, 
so I was just ready to put the book on the shelf and let my grandkids read it one day and say, hey, look what Papa did. In February of 2013, I'm driving to the gym and uh, I get a call from a movie producer in Canada and he asked me, uh, has anybody done anything with your book? And I just kind of rolled my eyes because I was in the car and he couldn't see me. I rolled my eyes and said, uh, no, nobody's done anything with it. And he said, okay, I'll get back with you. And I said, yeah, right. And hung up. And then two weeks later, he called me again. He said, uh, are you sitting down? And I said, matter of fact, I am. I'm driving to the gym. And he said, well, just pull over for a moment. And I pulled over and he said, we're going to make your movie, uh, make your book into a movie. Uh, working on the script right now, plans for production in July. And I just, uh, I was just sitting there in a stupor. I was just dumbfounded that that was actually going to happen. And then uh, they started putting it together. And one of the first names that I saw that was going to be in the movie was the Hot Rod, Roddy Rowdy Piper. And it just thrilled me. And of course, uh, uh, Diane Carroll was in the movie also. But the movie uh, was, uh, the book was made into a movie, The Masked Saint. Uh, it won uh, 2015 Best Picture at the International Christian Film Festival. It was in theaters in January of 2016. It's been on uh, Netflix for three years. It's currently on Amazon Prime. It's on Tubi. Uh, it's on Pure Flix. And here, here it is almost, you know, I don't know how many years later, and people are still watching The Mass Saint. And I'm still, I'm still talking about wrestling, even though I've been a pastor for 35 years. So, uh, Rick, I have the best of both worlds, man. I'm, I'm in the ministry, which was my calling, but I still get to be a part of professional wrestling, which was my dream. So I got the best of both worlds. And your website is www.themasksaint.com. www.themasksaint.com. And people can get your movie, The Mask saint on dvd right and they can also get your book what is the book called the mask saint or the title of the book same as the movie yep yep it's the the mask saint uh i actually got in touch with my feminine side i wrote a christmas book too that's uh on their herald's heavenly christmas that i'm hoping is going to get made into a uh either a hallmark movie or great american family movie and uh, a wrestling buddy and Myself, we have a book coming out in uh, Thanksgiving week called Mr. President. It's a novel. Uh, I don't know, you, you, Rick. You remember a guy named Pat Paulson? Oh, it's a, a comedian. comedian. That ran for, yes, he ran yeah, for ran, president. Yes. Yeah. So uh, in the book. There's a sleazy comedian named Timmy Connors who runs for president every four years. And then uh, the world heavyweight wrestling champion is a young African-American kid who grew up dreaming to be the world champion. The comedian gets an autograph from celebrities, but unbeknownst to the celebrities, they're actually signing an agreement to be his vice presidential candidate. And he gets a lot of publicity out of that. And so he gets the world champs autograph actually signed an agreement to be his vice presidential candidate. Uh, there's a big, big scandal with the Dems and a big scandal with the Republicans. And I know that's a big shocker to everybody. So the comedian wins the presidency and 
while he's making his acceptance speech, he has a heart attack and it thrusts the world champion into being the president. And then he starts putting all of his wrestling buddies in his cabinet and he turns Washington upside down. It's a political comedy that is absolutely hilarious and people are going to love it when it comes out in uh, November. So if they want your book, if they want the movie, either or, movie on DVD, the book, hard copy, and if they don't want the hard copy of the book, do you have it to where they can download it right onto their computer? Oh yeah, they can they can get the uh, the download. Um, I'm trying to think of what what do they call that? Uh, Kindle, Kindle. Yeah, Kindle. Yeah, they can get it on Kindle. Yeah, they can do that. All right. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, www.themasksaint.com, and that is because for ten years between uh, let me see, 1978 to 1988, for those. Those 10 years, our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, was called The Saint, and he was a pro wrestler. He competed with acts in the ring like The Undertaker, The Freebirds, The Ultimate Warrior, The Flamboyant Eric Embry, Iceman King Parsons, and many others. His last three years as a pro wrestler, he wrestled in Texas with Wild West Wrestling, WCCW, and independent shows. And let me go back to the show where I worked at the arena with WWF, you talk about men getting in touch with their feminine side. They had two partners. I don't know if they were biological brothers, but they were two grown men and they were called the headbangers. I don't know if you remember them, (laughs) but they were selling their shirts. They had their shirts. Although, let me just tell you this, they weren't selling. It wasn't even fair (laughs) to compare their shirts in sales with Austin 316. No, no, no. But they were selling them and and the shirt said, real men wear skirts <laughs> and they would come out in the ring. It was like a, it was a, sort of like a, a, a Scottish kilt type of a thing. Yeah. It wasn't a real right. Scottish kilt, but it, it looked kind of yeah. like that. And this was the, the headbangers and they were on the bill that night with their shirts, real men wear skirts. I'm telling you, everybody had a little shtick, a a little, you know, a a hook, if you will, much like a hit record, but they weren't selling records. They were wrestling acts, for heaven's sake. It was was an amazing performance, and and, uh, boy, I'm telling you, I cannot stress this enough. They were making, they were making, Making the money, Chris. They were making yeah, it hand yeah. over oh, fist. Boy. Yeah, I think those two guys ended up working as the the sheep herders, and there was another name. They're both from New Zealand. One of them passed away last year or this year, uh, but they were just phenomenal in the ring. I'll never forget the first time they were on the WWF. Bobby Heenan was one of the commentators, and when, when they walked out, Bobby Heenan said, "Well, there you have it, folks. Living proof that the." Three Stooges had children. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and you know uh, 
how they have they have the ringmaster that and now ladies and gentlemen entering the ring you know you know the i i want to call right. him the mc but i think in boxing the wrestling don't they call him they call him a, a ringmaster ring just announcer. like a no, ring announcer, ring announcer. They had yeah, yeah. they had the ring announcer, and then I swear to you, I'll never forget this. I hear this music, this this build up music, you know, a, a vamp when they're bringing in the axe and dum ba bum ba bum ba bum, and I swear to you, I look there at the ring, and there's this 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 ring uh, announcer, and here comes out of the ceiling how how the mic comes down and he'll talk, but then. And it'll go back up in the air. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. it came down yeah. and he held, he held the mic in his hand and he takes it over to the corner and he's not making any announcements at all. He's not even talking on it. There is a little Walmart boom box. And I'm telling you, you could get the thing at Walmart. If if it was $50, it would have been an expensive one. It might have been cheaper than that. It was a battery-operated boombox. And bump, ba-bum, ba-bump, ba-bum. And the music of that whole event, which was sold out, was made by him taking this microphone and pointing it directly at this boombox. So apparently for this crowd that was making millions that night, they spent a grand total of $50 or less on the music system, and it worked like a top. worked just fine. <laughs> well, there must have been some problems that night because that's not the way they normally did things. Uh, yeah, I, I I had the opportunity to be introduced one time by the great Jimmy Lennon. Jimmy Lennon, he did all of the uh, announcing for the big TV shows and the big the movies. As a matter of fact, he introduced Elvis and Kid Galahad. He introduced uh, all of the these famous people that any kind of boxing or wrestling movies, uh, the announcer was the great Jimmy Lennon. So I got to be introduced by him in Fort Lauderdale at the Sunrise Theater one time. That was one of the highlights of being introduced by that guy. But they always made sure that uh, the the sound system was working. Uh, That was the first thing on the agenda. So something must have happened, Rick, that night for them to be using a boombox. I've never heard of that before. So I, I know for a uh, you know, a guy like you who's been in the business for years and years, that must have been a, a crazy evening seeing them doing that, especially from your perspective. But I got to tell you, Rick, your voice is amazing. I mean, you need to be in the ring introducing those guys, and you you still need to be at the top of the line with a voice like you've got because it is primo. I love your voice. I, I get that all the time, and I'm available. Just knock on my door. Right me r-r-i-c-k flynn at aol.com i'll MC your wrestling matches if that vince i'm here for you my brother rick you have absolutely one of the best voices in radio i don't think uh, i've ever heard anybody that can compete with your voice I- i'm kind of jealous because i'm a i'm a southern boy i don't have that kind of voice and i i get up in front of people every week and speak and and I would just give anything to be able to have that Rick Flynn voice, but I don't have it, man. But I'm so <laughs> glad you do because you use it well. Thank you very much. We had a young man come on the show. He was a 
finalist on the British UK television show, The Voice. Okay. Not the American The Voice, the British The Voice. He said, what did he say? He said, Rick, I have spent the last five months of my life since appearing on this television show, which has given him number one hits and all this notoriety and celebrity that he now enjoys in the United Kingdom. He said, I've spent my last five months doing nothing but promoting on radio and promoting on television. He says, and I have not been anywhere that sounded better than your show. And I had to get out the the Cincinnati, Ohio, Procter and Gamble puffs. It almost brought tears to my eyes, you know, a guy that knows what he's talking about to say that. So I appreciate it very much, sir. And I'm just delighted to have you on. I'm delighted. You are, sir. And Diane, you mentioned Diane Carroll. Was she in the movie? Uh, Yes, she plays the part of uh, Miss Edna. Miss Edna was actually in the book is true because she's from my childhood. But for the movie, they brought her up to real time. And uh, I was just thrilled when they uh, had her play the part of Miss Edna. Uh, I mean, my goodness, she was an Academy Award nominated actor had an unbelievable singing voice. I mean, sang with Frank Sinatra, man. I mean, this this lady was just uh, really, really something. And she did a great job playing uh, Miss Edna in the movie. Uh, she was a delight to be around, just a real, real precious, precious person. And it was a real thrill to uh, get to know her. And then sadly, uh, she's no longer with us. She passed away, I think, uh, a couple of years ago. She beautiful, but, uh, lady. beautiful she was, lady, beautiful yeah. lady to look yeah, at. Great. I don't oh, know if yeah. you, you remember another guy, speaking of the United Kingdom, you remember a talk show host who was successful over there and so successful, they brought him over here and he did well in the USA as well. His name was David Frost. Do you remember him? Oh, oh absolutely. David he, Frost. Yeah, my goodness. He, uh, he had some world famous interviews. I think he interviewed. Uh, Richard Nixon, didn't he? He had a big interview with him. I have no doubt, but I can tell you there is a connection. Can you tell me who his girlfriend was? Anne Carroll. Diane Carroll. Yeah, very much. Oh, for a long time. For a long time. And when he would announce people, I had a grandfather, my German grandfather, Opa, we called him. And Opa, if you don't know, that's grandfather in German. And my Opa would watch David Frost and every show, if he had a female guest coming on, like, say, for example, Diane Carroll, he'd give you the men on the show and then he'd say, and next we have the delicious Diane Cannon, (laughs) the delicious dinosaur. And he, how can you be delicious? And he would go off on him for, say, this is right. You can't be delicious and then but you know what my opa he still continued to watch the show it's just as a german he couldn't understand where david frost got off on calling all these women delicious but hey uh, you know to each their own you know absolutely oh 
I tell you, you you've brought up uh, you brought up so many names from the past that uh, I, I hope uh, hope you got a lot of listeners that are our age that can appreciate all of that great great stuff from the past. When you get to be our age, sir, here's what I'm going to tell you: every day is a gift. You know, I've seen so many people. You know it, and I. You're the pastor. You should be telling this to yeah. me. You know what? There, I, there's no guarantee that when I go to sleep tonight, that I'll wake up tomorrow. Each day is given me to just experience life, and for me to thank God that I'm here on this earth when a lot of my compatriots and people I knew and grew up with and good people, I'm not talking bad people, good ones have been called home years in front of me and I've been accorded the the joy of being able to live a little extra time on this earth. When I retired, I thought that that was going to be, you know, utopia. You know, I didn't need to work anymore. I was retired. I have 200 television stations on my digital cable. And I'm telling you something, Pastor, (laughs) I hated most of the shows that were on there. I got sick of the TV and they said, you ought to do a podcast. Get back to work. Do something you're going to be good at. I said, well, I'd love to help you. But I didn't know what a podcast was. But I knew how to do radio. And you know what? They sat me down. They got me an expert who knew podcasting, told me how to do it. I said, well, what you're telling me is the exact same thing as radio. It's just you don't have a lot of the red tape and a lot of the BS that goes with radio when you do these podcasts. I've got total control of it, see? Right, right. Well, you know, uh, you you do such a great job at it, and uh, I, I would just continue on as long as the Lord lets you live and keep using it because you do a great job, bro. Well, thank you very, very much. Our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, is a professional wrestler. And when you talk about a crazy business to be into, he's been there. He's done that. He's not bought the t- the, the old saying is, I've been there. I've done that. I've bought the T-shirt. I guess you've been there and done that. They gave you the T-shirt for free, didn't they? Yeah. Well, I have my own T-shirt. They don't sell as well as uh, Stone Cold's T-shirts, <laughs> but they still they still bring a a, a, a a little gleam to my eye. And you know, I always loved it, Rick. Uh, still today, whenever I go and speak, and inevitably after I speak, somebody's going to come up and say, uh, "All that professional wrestling was." fake, wasn't it? Oh, and, uh, I, I, I wanted yeah, to ask well, that. Let me, yeah, well, let's see. I had a crushed ankle. I've had five knee surgeries, both ACLs, MCLs. I've had two lateral releases. I've dislocated my hip so many times that they come out uh, today. Uh, broke pelvis. Uh, broke all my ribs, my sternum, both collarbones. I've had both shoulders surgically repaired three times, neck injuries, back injuries. Broke my nose so many times I can't breathe out of it. Death in my left ear from getting hit with punches and over over a hundred concussions. So if it was fake, somebody forgot to tell me. Oh my goodness gracious. Now now what about those when you go to Costco or to Walmart yeah. or to Sam's Wholesale Club, they have these banquet tables, you know, with the folding legs mm-hmm. that go and you open right, them. Right. Now when they stack those those banquet tables up and the wrestler 
climbs up to four or five tables high and jumps down and, and, and the the banquet tables crush down are they sliced with with saws to make them easier to cave in or are they caving them in uh, the way you buy them I, I think those tables I thought those tables were rigged so that they would go down easy they would cut them and they, they would be no those were real those are the authentic tables yeah, yep. Yeah, those are the the real tables. Yeah, um, you know Mick Foley, probably one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. He was missing several teeth from uh, taking bumps on those uh, folding tables. So I think he would uh, come to my aid pretty quickly in telling you that they're not sawed or anything. Those are the actual tables. It's still quite a bump when you hit that thing from ten feet up. Now, how about they would say, "Well, that's not blood. That's ketchup." Remember all that? No. That's ketchup. That's not no. blood. Was it ketchup or was it blood? No, it's the real thing. It's blood. I've never, uh, I never even thought about ketchup because it just doesn't look right. But blood is blood, and you know, in my day, to say uh, red turns to green, called it gigging. You know, you you cut a little piece of a razor blade off and put it under a piece of tape on your finger, and when it came time, uh, all you had to do is just kind of gig yourself in the forehead, and you have so many veins up there, you bleed like crazy. Any guy. I knows who shaves, you know, if you shave and you nick yourself, it just bleeds and bleeds and bleeds. So, you know, if you gig yourself in the forehead, it, it, it really comes down. And so, and then of course, a lot of times when you're working, you, you get, uh, you get banged up and you bleed without gigging. So wrestling, uh, was not fake, but it was predetermined. You knew who was going to win, you knew who was going to lose. And, um, in the, in the old days, there used to be a lot of blood, but but in the, this day and age, you don't you rarely see blood on the programs uh, WWE or AEW. Uh, more so in AEW, you see blood, but you don't on WWE. Uh, but the independent shows and the backyard wrestlings that you see on YouTube, blood is a is a big part of it. They do some crazy, crazy stuff today. I I don't know how they can continue doing stuff like that and and get up the next day, but they're doing crazy, crazy stuff. And uh, I, I don't. I don't, I don't like it. You know, I, I like the, the wrestling back in my day when uh, when it was real good stuff. But uh, you don't see a lot of that today. Now, I heard that the announcer in the ring, the ring announcer, the person who won the match that evening, the person who lost the match that evening, and all the rest of them, they're in the same tour bus going to the next city, and it's predetermined who is going to win the match and if you violate that and if you they say well uh, uh chris you're gonna lose tonight he's gonna win and you go against that and beat the hell out of the other guy and and try to win they say that would be the end of your career is that true oh Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you, you're not gonna you're not gonna go against your promoter and uh, do something that the promoter uh, tells you not to do because you won't you won't work anymore if you do that. You'll be blacklisted. Uh, you have to do yeah yeah you have to do what the promoter says. Right. Okay. Well, there we have it. All right. I'll tell mm-hmm. you, you're the first pro wrestler that I've had on, and it'll soon be 200 episodes of this podcast, and I've loved every 
second of it. Uh, Chris, how can I thank you enough other than to say that I want everybody to go to your website, www.themastsaint.com. Themastsaint.com. You can buy the movie. The Masked Saint on DVD. You can buy the book, The Masked Saint, in hard copy, or you can buy it through the Kindle and download it immediately. After you'd wrestled for 10 years with wrestling The Undertaker, acts like that, wrestling Rocky Johnson, who is the father of Dwayne Johnson, and isn't Dwayne Johnson, he was one of the biggest money makers along with Steve Austin in the wrestling business. Is that not right? Oh, yeah. The Rock was a huge, huge star. He'd be huge if he came back today. But, you know, when I was in college, Burt Reynolds was the number one box office draw in the world. And then it hasn't been that long ago that uh, Dwayne, The Rock, was the number one box office draw in the world today. So, I mean, he went from being a a football player to a professional wrestler to uh, the number one box office draw in the world. Uh, He's got his own production company now, and uh, just about everything that he puts out turns to gold. So he's doing doing really, really well today. He really is. And your trainer that trained you in this wrestling is the great Malenko. I don't know him. How big was he in the business? He was was great. Uh, Matter of fact, he was just uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame in Iowa. Just a few weeks ago, he wrestled under the name of Boris Malenko, Boris or the Great Malenko. His real name was Larry Simons, but uh, he was just a super, super, super guy. Uh, one of the best in the business. Uh, he was a great, uh, great trainer. Uh, he trained uh, Mark Miro, who uh, was the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion for the WWE. Um, and Mark was also the WCW uh, t- uh, World Television Champion. Uh, but he trained him. He trained so many others. Uh, just a great, great guy. And of course, his son, uh, Dean, is now one of the top people for AEW. And uh, his son, Jody, was actually, the I think, the better of the two. Jody was just an amazing wrestler because he was trained by his dad and also uh, the great guy from the past, Carl Gotch. So um, anybody in wrestling would know who the great Malenko was. He was one of the best. All right. You married your high school sweetheart. That tells me you must must be married for years. How many years now? I met my wife when I was 16 years old. We got married when we were 20, and we have been married for 48 years. 48 years. And you have two daughters. Have two wonderful daughters. My uh, my oldest daughter is uh, married and lives in Melbourne, Florida. Uh, she has four kids. Uh, married to Rob. Rob's a mechanical engineer. My youngest daughter, Casey, uh, has an amazing voice. Uh, she actually helps lead worship here at First Orlando uh, in the 8:30 service. She's married to a graphic artist who's just one of the most talented guys you'd ever want to meet. They have two children, so I've got two wonderful. Uh, wonderful daughters and six uh, wonderful grandkids. I am truly, truly blessed. And uh, thank God every day for them. Absolutely. Now, you, after 10 
years of being a professional wrestler. Were you on these tour buses like what they were back at the WWF when they came to us in Cincinnati? They had buses. Did you actually travel in a bus to the next city and you were with the whole team, so to speak, the whole show? No, no. How did you get from one show to the next? Usually I drove. Oh, in a uh, car. If it was out of state, you, yeah, you drive or you fly. Or, and uh, sometimes you travel with somebody. If you're working with them on a show, you might travel with them. But most of the time, I was just by myself. I drove there. I showed up. And, you know, they had a place for you to park whenever you went to the arena. And um, you you stayed at a hotel. You know, we didn't, we didn't even stay in the same hotel together. So I guess things have changed if that's what they're doing today. But I, I don't think they are. You know, I was just uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I went to the AEW show over in Tampa just to, you know, say hey to some friends. And I saw the guys, they were showing up one at a time, but they weren't traveling together and they didn't travel in a bus. So I guess I guess the WWE does it differently. What I was working with at the arena was WWF, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Which we're, is now WWE. Oh, okay. And back at that time, WWF at that time, it meant Worldwide Wrestling Federation, right? Right. What does it mean today, WWE? World Wrestling Entertainment. Ah. Yeah, Vince McMahon went through, a, he went through some lawsuits and changed the name from WWF to WWE, and they, they they now call it sports entertainment. Okay. Now, before I let you go, it is a fact that the winner of the match, no matter who it is, whether it's Stone Cold back in the day, whether it's the headbangers and their skirts in the day, whatever it is, it's predetermined who is going to win that match. But yet these grannies and these moms and these dads and these kids, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're they're cursing and everything. And they they have to know that these matches are predetermined. But do you think it's just the 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 sport? the fantasy element that allows them to get into it like a baseball, like a football game, like a soccer match. They know it's fake, but hey, they want their two cents worth. So they'll yell, scream, curse, and and let everybody, give everybody what for if they feel it led in their heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, my grandfather thought professional wrestling was real and the moonshot was fake. So you got a lot of, you got a lot of people like that today that want to just carry on the dream in their head. So, but you know, I hate to, hate to disappoint them, but you, you know, who's going to win you know who's going to lose but you still got to get in there and do it and it's it's dangerous you get hurt guys have just really uh been injured i, I could tell you some injuries that would just make you uh your skin crawl but you got you got to get in there and do the work you still you have bullies in professional wrestling and you still you know have 
real life drama in professional wrestling. Just because it's predetermined doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of drama that goes with it. And uh, and I know you know what drama is about, Rick. Oh, my. Well, if yours was the craziest business, mine is the second craziest because I've seen it all. I'm telling you what, I I don't even want to get into it other than to say, I think in your business, if Vince McMahon happened to be involved, no matter who the party was, they probably, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, we'll get right on that. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll bet you everybody revered that guy because he was so good. Such a genius. Yeah, to his face they did. Yep. Uh, they might have said something behind uh-huh. behind his back, but, uh, but to his face they're not going to say anything bad because they want to work. And they knew that, uh, you know, he's the star maker. I mean, he's the guy. I mean, he's the one that made Hulk. Kogan. Uh, he's the one that made, you know, The Undertaker. He, he's the one that made all of those characters in the WWF, and it, which is now the WWE. I mean, you know, that came from the mind of Vince McMahon. He's the one that made them into that. So he definitely was able to do a lot of the right things that put wrestling on the top of the bill where it is today. He's still going to be remembered as the guy that uh, made professional wrestling what it is today. Okay, now, for for 30 years, you were a, I guess you still are, a Southern Baptist pastor. How many of your parishioners that you talk to throughout the year, let's say, come up to you and say, hey, I used to see you when you were the saint. I used to watch you. Do a lot of them yeah. recognize you from the wrestling days? Well, I, I guess not every church member is a wrestling fan, but I've certainly had my number of people that said, hey, I watched you in your day. And, uh, you know, it brings back a lot of good memories when they do that. And we get to talk about the old days in professional wrestling. So it's it's just been good. You know, uh, most of the people that uh, I have had the privilege of being their pastor, me being a former professional wrestler, didn't detract from anything that I was able to do uh, in the church. And, and matter of fact, I think it helped in a lot of ways because there were a lot of people that didn't want to come up against me if they disagreed with me. So <laughs> that was a good thing. <laughs> oh, Lord Almighty. And in 10 years of being a pro in wrestling, 10 years of your life, how much ketchup was on your face to simulate blood? Can you give me the amount of ketchup that they said, well, that's not blood, that's ketchup. How much ketchup was on your face in 10 years? None. No, no, no ketchup at all. Matter of fact, you know, I, I worked with a mask. I mean, if you look at the pictures, uh, I worked with a, I had a white mask. I had white trunks, white tights, white boots, white cape. And whenever I, I did break my nose a couple of times and, uh, that, that blood, uh, looks really good on white. I can tell you that. And there was no ketchup coming out of my nose. It was, it was blood. I, I was in seminary and I had, 
a bunch of guys from seminary were coming over to Dallas to watch me wrestle. And uh, the very first thing that happened in that match, he threw me into the turnbuckle and I broke my nose. And I have never bled so much in my life, but uh, I've just, I was soaked in my blood and uh, had to take an IV afterwards because I lost so much blood. But all of the people that were there that night from the seminary, they didn't think it was ketchup because they saw it coming out firsthand. Oh, my. Now, did your bosses that owned the show bring a doctor in every night or a nurse or or, or did you have to go oh, in yeah. an ambulance to a hospital? Oh, no, you had medical right there yeah. on the scene. Right, right there on the scene. Yeah, usually, uh, usually a doctor, but always a nurse was there. And and of course, today they have uh, medics that are on the scene just in case there's an injury or or whatever. So they you you, you got to have that there because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, somebody's going to get hurt or whatever, and they're going to need it. And so they have excellent care there in case that happens. And I'm thankful for it. Absolutely. Well, we're thankful to have you on the show, your parishioners down at the church in uh, Florida, which I'm presuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, the church is open to the public if they're in Florida and they want to come to the service on Sunday. Is that permissible that you can announce that and invite them, or is it you got to be a member? Uh, Tell everybody if they want to come to, where are they coming if they want to come to church in Florida? Yeah, everybody is welcome. Um, I I'm serving on staff at the First Baptist Church of Orlando. Now, here in Orlando, you have you have Disney World, you have Sea World. We're called Baptist World because uh, there's over 20,000 members in this church. Our sanctuary seats 5,000 people. Uh, we have three services on Sunday, 8:30, 10 o'clock, and 11:30, and everybody is welcome. And you know, uh, Rick, I'm so blessed. I get messages just a couple. A couple of weeks ago, I had a, a couple that came all the way from Des Moines, Iowa. They had watched the movie, The Mass Saint, and um, at the end of it, there's uh, information that I'm I'm living in Orlando. And uh, anyway, they did their homework, found out where I was, and uh, came to church uh, to get me to sign the book that they had bought, and uh, also, you know, wanted a T-shirt. And, and that happens all the time. So I have people come to the church that you know have seen the movie or read the book, and I look forward to every one of those, and they're always more than welcome here at First Baptist uh, in Orlando, always. Very, very well. Wow. And well, Rick, I'm going to send you... Go ahead. I'm going to send you a t-shirt. I'm going to send you a t-shirt. You've got to tell me what size to send, but my t-shirt has the mass saint, and on the back of it, it's got uh, that quote from Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Uh, so I want to send you that. I want to send you that shirt. What size are you? I'll tell you what. We're going to discuss that. I'm going to tell it. Don't hang up, okay? I would. I just okay. want to tell right. everybody, don't hang up. We're going to discuss that off the air. All right. All right. Ladies and okay. gentlemen, Chris Whaley is his real name in real life. Chris W-H-A-L-E-Y. Chris Whaley, for 10 years, was the pro wrestler called The Saint. He is the subject on a movie loosely about his 
life. In other words, they took some artistic license on the movie. It's not 100%, but give me, Chris, what do you think? Is it 80%, 85%, you know, with 15% artistic license? Tell me about the movie quickly in regard to your real life. Is it semi-accurate or accurate? Oh, it's very close. Uh, they had to change some things for the movie. Uh, you know, every, everything in the movie is supposed to take place here in Florida, which is where I've spent the majority of my time. But the movie was filmed in Sault Ste. Marie, Canada in November, and there was snow on the ground. So they couldn't say that it took place in Florida. So they made a fictitious name of a, a town in Michigan to say it took place there. But I never pastored in Michigan. But it's just... Uh, I, I would say it's a good 85% close to reality, but they did have to change some things because uh, they had to film them inside instead of outside uh, because of the weather. But uh, it's very, very close. Very, very close to real life. All right. Very, very well. Ladies and gentlemen, I hate to leave because this guy has been so entertaining and has had a life unlike any other that I've ever known uh, in people that I've worked with because when I was at the arena with our Rick Flynn Presents television show, we did our packages there. They called them on video, and then we took our packages, and they later became part of the Rick Flynn Presents show, and we'd air them the next week following that appearance. And we, we just had a great time experiencing that when the WWF at that time, they were called, was kind enough to invite us in to help them promote what turned out to be a hugely, hugely successful event at the Cincinnati Gardens Arena. And I just want to say thank you, everyone, for making our podcast as interesting because of these wonderful guests that you're listening to, such as Chris Whaley, the saint right here in person. This is Rick Flynn. It's been fun, but I've got to run on behalf of myself, the pastor, the husband, and the hero, a.k.a. the Mask Saint. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Good night. Rick, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I am so blessed because of the people that listen to your show. They're great, great people. They love you, and then they love the people that you have on your show. And so I get to be one of those, and I'm so thankful. Even though I was a professional wrestler, I'm a pastor. And anytime I can ever do anything for anybody for the cause of Christ, I do it. So anytime I can do something for you, you contact me, and I'll contact you back. I guarantee you. God bless you all, and thank you, Rick, for having me. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.